Welcome back. This is Mikhail Woodward. I am the beer ambassador, and I'm here every week talking about the world of craft beer. As I was just saying, uh, for for four most of four and a half years, four and a quarter years, I've been on at five o'clock, uh, and then this last quarter I was on at five thirty. And uh, there was some some scheduling conflicts or issues. And now, coming back in the winter quarter, which starts next Tuesday uh, for us. I mean, it starts next Monday, technically. But for this show, it'll be on Tuesday. Um, I will be back at the 5 o'clock hour. So from 5 to 6 every week, you will be listening to me talking about the world of craft beer. And I've got some good guests scheduled and coming up. I've just been talking about for the last half hour because I was filling in for the sauce beforehand. So... I've been talking about resilience beer and where you could get it. There's all kinds of breweries here in California. I might mention them again, but uh, not as slowly because now I have a guest and I want to be able to bring in this. This guest is a friend of mine. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while, um, but I'm gonna. We're gonna now. My friend Bert Svensson is on the phone. He's the chief, a CEO, chief, you know, officer of Drinkability Consulting. Um, and drinkability capital. He is a a a, a master sommelier. Uh, he, so he, and he's also an expert in specialist guru in beer, wine, and uh, spirits as well as wine. So I uh, just want to welcome you to the show. How you doing, Bert? I'm doing fantastic. Um, happy brew year, uh, Mikael. It's uh, good to be on your show, buddy. Thank you, my friend. So, um, yeah, I was just talking about the Resilience uh, IPA where Sierra Nevada and Ken Grossman decided to help out those who were impacted from Butte County where there was 153,000 So how many brewers are they up to? Last I heard was 1,100 plus. Are they up to like 1,400, 1,500 nationwide Um, now? I don't know if they're – I know they're – right now they're saying over 1,400. They're saying over 1,400. And That's they, incredible. It is incredible. So, and I was telling her, it is a hundred percent of that money goes to um, to the campfire um, fund. You know, uh, something. It's a charity, and it goes to the people that have been impacted. Um, I'm excited to try it, though. Have you tried it? I haven't been able to try it yet. Um, I have not tried it yet either. I know that some of my beer friends with brewer owners jumped on and has been brewing it as well. Not maybe in the first round when the first breweries jumped on, because I think some of the first ones were friends of uh, Sierra Nevada, and then East Coast brewers jumped on, and California more and more. But, I mean, having over 1,400 breweries uh, nationwide beyond the charity for the campfire, which was Northern California, the brutal one, a couple of them, what, a month and a half ago, two months ago. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. I mean, well, it's, it's the right thing to do. It is, and and we have sixteen breweries here in Orange County, in both North and South Orange County, that have brewed the Resilience beer. So, um, as I was saying, that a lot of them just here in the end of this year or just you know this last week have started releasing it or they're releasing it you know within this week um so it's a a time to be able to go have it on draft and then the cans should start coming to distribution in fact uh the other the other thing that you do is you're also um work with uh you know a company where you do the buying are you guys going to be buying any of that um absolutely um i mean if if we'll probably end up having four or five of the local or the California breweries resilience beer on the shelf, it's um, 
it's um, just um, what what you do. I mean, I think it's a it's a fantastic way to go. Sierra Nevada came up with a brilliant idea to try to help um, get funds raised in a in a cool way. Having giving a recipe for the resilience beer available to every brewery in the nation if they wanted to have it, it's all theirs. Here's the recipe. Brew only one contingency. All profits goes to uh, goes to the fund for the fire. Yep, and what's cool about that is that um, you're getting the same beer because it's the same recipe, but you can go into your local brewery and get that, and and they've given their time and their effort and money to be able to make that beer, um, and so we're all and, and so we're supporting all this and putting our money in, and all you have to do is enjoy a beer. I mean, that's that's awesome. I, I it's a win win situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's the smartest uh, fundraising I've seen in a long time within the beer and beverage industry because they, uh, it's not only that uh, big, one of the major companies, a top 10 brewery in the nation comes up with an idea, but to get over 1,400 local breweries, and most of those are not the big guys that may be in big distribution. You're talking local breweries that are having, they have a tasting room, and they're brewing this and selling it in a tasting room to local patrons, and uh, the funds goes to uh, a nationally known um, catastrophe, uh, which unfortunately killed, what, over 80 people died, and 4,000-some buildings were um, burnt, and uh, I, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal what they did. It is phenomenal. And I was just talking about the stats before you got on the phone, but I will uh, give those stats again, that there was 153,000 acres that burned. There's over 13,000 homes, and unfortunately, 85 people uh, lost their lives. But um, I'm looking forward to trying that. Maybe we should try and get together this week and, and, and go try that resilience beer and do a little, do a little video of that. You know what I'm saying? Good plan. Good plan. Let's do it. So uh, you're also, I mentioned it, but you're also the buyer at Bristol Farms. Um, and so, you know, give us a little bit of your background and how you got into coming from a, a sommelier, a wine expert uh, background into to beer. Well, um, I think most of us probably drank beer a long time ago when we were really young. Some people started drinking wine. I've been drinking wine good wine since I was 16. Uh, don't tell anyone, but that's, uh, it's, it's been a long ride. And well, I, I mean, it comes down to where you're from. And bad wine when I went to college. It's always been, uh, life's, life's too short to drink well, my friend. Oh, for sure, for sure. But you were, you were born in another country as well. Yeah, but we brew beer. We, we brew, beer is a global phenomenon. It's uh, I was I'm originally from Sweden. It's Scandinavia. Uh, Sweden, Denmark um, um, has some pretty good beers, award-winning beers. Um, next to us is Germany, which is again all of Europe has a ton of beers, uh, a ton of beer history, and uh, so does the U.S. Um, and so that's pretty much most most of the world has a brewing history with beers, and and most of the world has a history with wine. So when you're looking at wine, wine and beer and spirits, uh, there is a huge crossover. If I meet up with my sommelier friends, 
of course, I want to know what they're drinking. And most of my sommelier friends go, shh, don't tell anyone, beer. Well, we all drink a lot of wine. We sample a lot of wine. We write about it. We talk about it. But we equally, um, sommelier today has to be well-rounded and also know more about beer. I know more about beer than most sommeliers because I see myself not as a beer geek, but uh, just like you, Mikael, we're, we're beer enthusiasts, and we dig into beer in many, many different ways, anything from production to the drinking and the hops. And uh, you know, um, uh, having been drinking and collecting wines for a lifetime, and having been drinking beers for kind of a lifetime as well, getting into the craft beer scene after, well, I moved to the United States about 30 years ago. And um, back then, um, uh, there wasn't that many brewers in the United States. There wasn't that many brewers in Europe either. It was the same old, same old. Um, the explosion of beer uh, has, and uh, believe this or not, if you're looking at factual statements, uh, for a long time, there was probably only in the in with less than a hundred, then into the hundreds of breweries in the United States. But the fact is that go back to you don't have to go that far back. Six years back, 2012, which is really not that long long ago. Uh, the craft beer scene was about the 12 billion dollar uh, industry. 2018, um, the craft beer did about 30 billion out of a total beer volume in the United States only of 110 billion. It, it, it's it's crazy, and of course we're going to drink beer. You drink wine, you drink beer, you drink spirits. Um, yes, drink well. Focus on what you like. I agree. I mean, pretty much. I call myself the beer ambassador, and I've gotten that because I started uh, brewing my own beers and then judging and then got into, you know, clubs and then got into my show. And um, and people are always like, there used to be the, the term beer snob, and I've been one, but um, but but the long and the short are people are like, wow, you're really an ambassador to beer. You'll talk with people about beer, and you'll get them to try beers that they've never tried before, and I've, I've been doing that for decades, and... So I just have this passion, but I but I've always had a thing for. I mean, I, I enjoy good wine, and I have uh, some friends who have been into it. And one friend uh, years ago helped me to learn a lot about wine when she used to have parties at her house. And um, um, but then I, you know, I love spirits. But the ones that I make, I make spirits and I make beer, but I make more beer than anything else. So uh, I think they're all interconnected, and I and I love how a lot of the beers that are being made are influenced. I mean, obviously we have a lot of barrel aged beers now. That are influenced, uh, but not just by it. Used to be just bourbon uh, and whiskey, but now it's tequila and wine, and um, you know you can find a, a myriad of, of different flavor profiles because of it. Yeah, that's where um, I mean I don't know where what category we actually if we were to rename or re retalk um, craft beer because craft beer. With a growth from twelve billion to thirty billion in the United States alone, in the craft beer segments of beer, in six years, that's a phenomenon. I think having seen the growth of breweries, um, <clears throat> operational breweries in the United States 
just went over slightly over 7,000 operational breweries in the United States in 2018. And there is about another 1,000 planned in the works trying to get ready to open in 2019. I know. It's amazing. That's crazy. It's, That's it's, crazy. It is crazy because just a, two and a half years ago, we were trying to hit... We were looking for the for the for the number that used to be four thousand before prohibition. So we were trying to break the pre-prohibition levels, and we thought that was such a big thing. And then you just it like it, it took so long to hit that mark. And once we broke that mark, it's just catapulted in two years. I mean, it's like all of a sudden we jumped an extra three thousand. Like we more than doubled in in like two years, two and a half years tops. You know. Yeah, the funny thing is when you say the four thousand. I think that number actually goes back all the way to, I think you're in the 1860s, 1870s, when the the country had about 4,000 breweries. And then it just came down to less than 100 for a good number of years. Well, yeah, because Prohibition put the kibosh on all kinds of stuff. So be able to to get through that dark period that we had and come back is, is pretty amazing. Um, but uh, it's the, the the growth we've had is phenomenal. People talk about a bubble, but I've said you know here in a, in the states we've had eight thousand plus wineries. I mean, it might be nine or ten thousand now. Who knows? You, you might know better than I do. But um, but you know, there's room for everybody. I think if you have good beer and good management, um, and and we're supporting local, then um, you know breweries should be able to last. Although I, I was bummed to find out that council. Brewing company closed last month um, on the 14th and 15th of December, um, and they made some really good beer. Um, but anyways, moving on, we're in the new year. What what have you been drinking? What are you looking forward to drinking, Bert? Is there any kind of trends that you see? There's one that I see, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you about it, but I want to hear from you first. Well, um, when it comes to beer trends, and um, I know hazies are still so trendy and people are jumping on brewers or jumping on drinkers or jumping on hazy. I happen to be maybe among most of my friends seems to be I'm a little bit more unusual. I want my hops back. I'm an IPA lover. Uh, I love beer in general. I'll, I'll, I'll drink everything. Um, however, if, if I had a direction to go from my own personal enjoyment, I would go IPA most of the time, single IPA, double IPAs, triple, maybe not so much too heavy on the ABV. Uh, I'd rather have two beers than a super high alcohol by volume ABV beer. So you might want like and, a sessionable um, one? I want my hops back. You want, the, you want like a West Coast? Yeah, I like the West Coast style. I mean, it's, uh, I, I do, but I, I mean, I would drink the North. If you're looking at the West Coast in general, you I can't, I can't say West Coast IPA. West Coast IPA seems to be much more a San Diego hoppy style IPA or Southern California hoppy style IPA. Oregon, Oregon is West Coast. Washington State is West Coast. Their beers are not like the San Diego hoppy beers. It's a totally different flavor. I agree. I, mean, I agree. But it's called the beer, though. But it's called a West Coast IPA, though. That's what it's been called for. I know time. it is called a West Coast IPA, <laughs> but you can go and have. How many out of Washington and Oregon taste the same as the true traditional West Coast San Diego IPA? Oh, no, they don't. I agree with you on that. 
but it's still a style, just like the New England, the the, the, the hazy, yeah. the hazy is a New England IPA, right? And that that's not that's not now now people are starting to say hazy, but they've always said NEPA, right? Or an, an New England IPA, any IPA. Yeah. Well, here here's here's the thing though. I haven't actually looked at this, but I think you and I should both look it up. Um, New England style IPA is now what everybody refers to as a hazy IPA because that's the New England style. But I actually don't know when was the hazy New England style IPA invented. Is it five years ago? No. Um, Four years ago? Ten years ago? I, I, you're right. I don't know exactly when it was. I, I can tell you the craze has been for the last year and a half, two years. I'd say they came out two years ago. The craze really hit last year and it's been going on. Um, but when was it invented? Because the West Coast style IPA, you're going back 20 years. Oh, yeah, I know. More. That's what I'm saying. It could be five or 10 years. It just took time to, for it to catch on and go across the country. I don't think it's 10 years, but I think it could be three, four, or five years, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm, I think it's less than 10 years, too. Maybe even less than five or for sure. maybe there were, were a few of them five years ago. But when I got beers from, uh, from the East Coast, uh, or New England style, I was still looking at hoppy beers when I, if I looked at an IPA, not a hazy. For sure. Well, my my newest one, and I know you and I have had conversations about this when we're out drinking. Um, for those that don't know, Bert's a good drinking buddy. When we when when we're able to grab a beer together, um, but it is the brute? I like the brute IPAs. Yeah, I like some brutes. I don't like all brutes, but I don't like all beer either on a personal drinking level. No, I don't. But uh, the brute is very trendy right now, and it seems like everybody's jumping on. Hazy is probably the trendiest still. Brute is probably the one that's up and coming when more and more brewers are jumping on, on the brutes. I, for one, want my hops back. That's not trendy, but it means I'm, I'll be drinking really well. Sure. Okay, so here I'm going to bring on a beer that I think is trendy now. And to me, this is a fad. This is something. So for me, when you come up with new beer styles or some, or an old style is revived and people talk about it being trendy or maybe it's seasonal. I mean, there's those people who hate pumpkin beers and every time it comes out, it gets poo-pooed on. But there are enough pumpkin beers that are popular that they're out every year. And I like pumpkin beer, but we can talk about the, you know, the holiday spice and whatever. But here's one that I think is a fad. And and. And I'm going to give the credit to who where to where it started. As from my understanding, where it started, it was with my friend Lynn uh, over, and and I forget the the head brewer's name, but you'll tell me in a second. Uh, um, at Three Weavers, so Three Weavers, if it, it, they made the first glitter beer, and now glitter beers are catching on. To me, that's just a fad because it has nothing to do with flavor or anything else. It just we put some glitter in it; it looks pretty. Oh, it is a fad. It's it's a ploy. It's something to get yourself be different from everybody else. Um, but I but I um, saw I've seen an article now. I'm seeing some stuff, and I'm like, oh my my daughter brought it up to me, and I was like, okay, when my daughter who is 11, who knows I'm in the beer, and she makes me like little beer stuff for my for Father's Day or my birthday, that kind of thing, since she was since she was able to, to draw, so since about five years old. Um, so for at least six years to be making stuff for me, but for her to go, Dad, you know about this? And I already knew about it, but for my daughter to come and say, Dad, you know about this? And she brings me a picture of, of glitter beer. I'm like, oh, okay, here. That's too funny. I, I just think here, and I knew it was a fad. I knew it was like a little gimmicky thing. Um, but because, you know, 
in in the food world, glitter has been a a new kind of fad in the last couple of years and putting glitter on everything and in everything. But now it made its way to beer. To me, that's, you know, as much as I love three weavers and linen stuff like that, and I and I, if they put a beer, a glitter beer in front of me, I'll try it. I haven't had one yet. I will try it. But I know it's not going to have anything to do with the flavor. So it's just a, I want my beer to look pretty. I mean, I always like my beer, beer to look pretty, but I want to see through my beer. You know, the funny thing is, how do you judge that? <laughs> we usually talk no, about hey, we talk about I being agree. able to I mean, see through the beer it, and the head and everything about the appearance, right? Glitter beer. It's a gimmick. For sure. Um, but three weavers in general, that's pretty, pretty darn good beers. Do you really need to go to do a glitter beer for the gimmick of it? Or it's... It's kind of fun. I mean, the other trends that I see right now is what do you have? You get the white, the white IPA. Yeah. Um, what else? What else is kind of getting a little bit trendy out there? Well, people don't like IPAs. They're too hoppy, too bitter. Well, pale ale. Mm, well, now you got a lot more brewers coming out with hoppy, hoppy lagers. Yeah, hoppy lagers have been popular for a while or they're they're gaining yeah, but, but, I, but they've been out for a while still jumping on i agree i agree doing hoppy loggers and um where where are you going to draw the line where are you all going to meet here between a hoppy lager it's a hoppy lager a pale ale no it's not a pale ale it's a hoppy lager because loggers are different from the pale ales but where do you where do you go um, what do you think how about much orange juice? Do you want in your hazy? I mean, where do you? <laughs> how much fruit? Uh, I mean, where do you draw the line? Where do we recycle the naming of do, beers? Do, do, with seven thousand brewers out there. Yeah. Do we need to? I'll get into this. Do we need to draw the line? Do we really need to draw the line? Because what I like about beer and what I got into home brewing is beers I imagine and beers I want to taste were not available. So you know. Back in the the aughts, you know, two thousand, you know, two thousand to two thousand ten, really, you couldn't find anything. So I started brewing, and then I remember bringing out some beers in two thousand ten, where my 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 mentors and people in my club were like, "That's not a traditional beer. What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's good. Trust me." And then everyone would drink it. Now a lot of people would poo poo on it, but you know, I'd be putting in fruit and herbs and spices and stuff like that. Um. And and I love that we're into that place now where we can be unique and come up with it. But I do agree with you is we're, how do you categorize it? How do you keep coming up with more styles um, that are categorized so you can judge them? Because we're going to have homebrew competitions and we're going to have the, you know, the professional um, brewing competitions. Um, so... You know, maybe there's problematic there, but but why why draw the line? Why limit this? I mean, I, I love the the experimentation of beer, and I love uh, a fruit salad in my beer, honestly. <laughs> but I do. I mean, but, I, I'm I'm there with you. Doesn't mean I I have to like the beer. No, doesn't mean I will try it. Absolutely, and I do like the creativity behind behind beer. Some of the most fun beers to drink may have been some of the most creative uh, beers from um, some of the brewers coming up with, wow, I want to brew this, I want to try this. And then they tweak it and tweak it until they feel they have something that's uh, commercial, commercially viable, either for the tasting room or getting into distribution. Sure. And I think, I think it's way cool. I think it's way cool. Well, and there's been a lot of mashups, too. So, like you said, you get a, a hoppy lager, right? Before, it used to be you got a hoppy beer, like a pale ale or an IPA, or you had, uh, you know, a lager. 
And now, now what, what, Samuel Adams came up with that. Samuel Adams blended uh, uh, an IPA and a lager. Um, and, but theirs is a blend, actually. They didn't just put hops in their lager. They blended it. Um, yeah, and I admire, I actually admire what um, uh, Samuel Adams, what, what they're doing with, with their beers, because they're at the point where they don't, they got the core beers, which is their bread and butter, but they come out with a number of annual releases of specialty beers, sure. different pails, different IPAs, different number of different beers. They're having fun brewing cool, fun stuff that they want to try themselves. Is it always commercially good? Probably not. Uh, will they make money on those beers? No, but they still put them out into the distribution. And some of those beers are some of the most fun beers I've ever tried from Samuel Adams. Sam's is at the point where they do stuff for fun. But I think that's what the whole industry is all about. And that's why we've also seen the increase to with all the craft brewers and the local tasting room being a craft brewery with no distribution, it's a local tasting room, is because, yes, like when you were a home brewer and when you brew your own beer, it's all about the fun, trying to brew some beer that drinks well. For sure. I think it is about fun. It's about making good beer. It's about pushing the limits. I think because we've been able to push the limits um, and get away from the Ryan Hostigo boat rules that were instituted in the, you know, 1700s, um, you know, that, that was a long time for us to just stay with four ingredients. And those are the four basic ingredients. But now we're able to add all these other things and be able to have a good time. So that's what I like about where the beer uh, uh, has been going and how it has inspired all these breweries to open. Now we have, you know, 7,000 breweries and we're going towards eight now. Um, and and then you get the community, you know, it's the best community to be able to hang out. Like when you and I went to the Brew Ho Ho, we just had a good time with a lot of good people. And, uh, and there was a lot of good beers there. But now, and then seeing, you know, this whole resilience movement and these kind of things. I think, honestly, I've seen the beer community come together for a lot of things. And they're always great people with great ideas and they have a good time. If it's a GABF or the California Craft Beer Summit or uh, the Brewers Association conferences, whatever it is. Um, but to see this resilience movement, I think it's kind of the biggest thing that I've seen. But it, it's it just it kind of speaks to basically uh, our community and what we're about, what we think about. And it is it is cool. I mean, really, and I agree totally with you. The resilience movement. Uh, when um, someone comes up with an idea, and suddenly have over fourteen hundred breweries backing it nationwide, I still think it's phenomenal, and I think it's the way to go. Um, for sure, I I really think it's the way to go too, and and. Uh... I think it's good. Is there, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, so it's really, I told you it's fast. It goes fast. It's really easy. Is there something that's on your mind that you really want to talk about in beer or um, anything that's been pressing? I know you, you you texted me about a few things, but we haven't been able to cover no, that No, I mean, hey, I think we can leave parts of the creativity and talk about some other avenues, maybe at another show when we can get together and live, and that would be way, way fun for me and way cool. Uh, what I'm looking forward to, and 
right now is, uh, hey, I, there's an awesome uh, Citrus Bowl. Um, um, oh, I'm going right. to watch um, a great football game. And, um, two, it's in the college football games and the, the ball games right now. And guess what? I'm drinking beer. Yes. What am I drinking? What are you drinking? Don't know yet. Oh, you don't I, know yet. Actually, right now, I'm having a finger trick of artifacts. I am going to have another IPA. And maybe, well, I have no clue, but I'll have a, at least another two or three beers tonight watching football and uh, with friends, and uh, it can't get much better than this. I agree with you, my friend. Well, if you guys want to check out, Bert, Bert do you have a, what's your Instagram or your Facebook? It's some kind of thing that people can follow you if they want. Yeah, my Instagram, um, uh, actually my creative daughter is handling my Instagram. It should be under drinkability. My new blog, yeah. Will be up fairly soon on a drinkability.us. It's not running yet, but probably in the next three to five weeks, there will be a new cool blog. Um, I'm trying to make it be one of the most fun blogs um, with guest writers for beer and wine and spirits and food and food and food pairing. So as soon as I have everything done, I'll let you know. Um, but the Instagram should be drinkability. Um, but it's my daughter's handling it and revamping a lot of things for me on the creative side because that's what she does. Um, the whole family's on the creative side and the advertising business. So it's, it's fun. Cool. Um, but I'll let you know as soon as you can. And please, I'd love to come back on your show when we both can figure out the schedule that works for us and talk, talk beer and talk beer and beer and food pairing and beer and um, uh, international trends and uh See what's going on, and hey, and, and again, it's 2019. Happy Brew Year 2019. I am so much looking forward to to see what's going to come out of local breweries, 